guys. Welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, Jake Trotter of ESPN joins me to talk all about what's happened with the Browns over the last couple of weeks. We talk about what happened to lead Deshaun Watson to the Cleveland Browns, the initial reaction to the Watson trade within the organization, and what happens next for Baker Mayfield. But first, I want to tell you about the First Draft podcast with ESPN experts Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field Yates. Those three are keeping tabs on the latest in the NFL Draft, and the show is now twice a week as we get close to the NFL Draft, two shows twice a week, every Monday and Thursday. And also, check out Monday's show on YouTube as well. So check out the First Draft Podcast, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and here is Jake Trotter talking all about the Cleveland Browns situation. All right, joining me now here on the Bill Barnwell Show, as promised, someone who's been here several times before talking about the Cleveland Browns and Baker Mayfield. Today, he's here to talk about the Cleveland Browns and Baker Mayfield, but also about what's happened to lead them to their new starting quarterback and Deshaun Watson is the excellent beat reporter for us at ESPN, Jake Trotter. Jake, how are you doing? Bill, I'm hanging in. It's been a <laughs> crazy few days here in Cleveland, but I'm used to it by now because it is the Cleveland Browns. Yes, certainly feels like it has been a very dramatic 12 months. I mean, certainly, you know, the season was very up and down and topsy-turvy, lots of drama in the 2021 season for the Cleveland Browns. And of course, I mean, this very dramatic turn of events with Deshaun Watson and Baker Mayfield. So let's start really from the beginning of this offseason. And then let's start on the Watson side of things, I suppose. I mean, it, it felt like things maybe accelerated after Watson had the criminal charges or, or, or the, the Houston area police declined to charge Watson criminally. But from your perspective and from the Browns' perspective, when did you get a sense that Cleveland was, you know, really considering a move for Deshaun Watson? Yeah, Bill, I would say after the season ended that it seemed like it was going to be at least a possibility. What we didn't know at the time was whether a grand jury in Harris County in Texas was going to indict Watson or not. That mm -hmm. was kind of the... I think the finding factor in whether the Browns were going to ultimately pursue him, but, you know, coming into the off season, the way that Baker Mayfield played this year, uh, the Browns, they even told Baker Mayfield's campus at the combine, like we might pursue one of these top flight quarterbacks. So who is that? That's Aaron Rodgers. That's Russell Wilson. That's Deshaun Watson. They didn't give any indication um, from anyone that I have talked to, that they were interested in any of the other quarterbacks, like, you know, the Jimmy Garoppolo's of the world, right? Uh, those guys. So mm -hmm. it looked like that they were either going to hit a you know home run in terms of a quarterback talent, or they were going to roll it back with Baker Mayfield. And this was the plan really rolling up to last Friday. And, you know, they never, you know, really had a shot at Russell Wilson. They never had a shot or did anybody else mm -hmm. really at Aaron Rodgers. So, those were crossed mm -hmm. off the list pretty quickly. But when the, the grand jury uh, decision came down again last Friday, things began to change quickly. Mm -hmm. The Browns put together uh, a meeting with Deshaun. They put together a trade package with the Texans, uh, who were going to have to green light the meeting. And everything mm -hmm. moved fast from there. You know, the Browns flew down to Houston to meet with Watson. Baker Mayfield found out about the meeting over social media. And 
in Cleveland. It was a, it's been a firestorm since. I can can certainly imagine. Um, were you were you surprised? I mean, in terms of the level of interest the Browns had, and I guess sort of maybe the the broader question to ask there is, you know, do you think the Browns went into this offseason saying, uh, you know? E- 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 even if we can't get a Russell Wilson, we have to do something to try and change our quarterback situation. Or do you think they were really comfortable moving forward with Baker Mayfield if there wasn't a significant upgrade available? I would say it was probably a combination of the two. So you look in the AFC right Mm -hmm. now, Bill. I mean, unless you have an elite quarterback, are you coming out of the AFC? Do you have any chance at all? Probably not. Right. And how many teams have that guy? Uh, You know, the Broncos, the Bills, the Chiefs, I mean, just go down the list. I, mm-hmm. You know, the Browns have a roster that's ready to contend for a Super Bowl now. They've got Miles Garrett in his prime, Nick Chubb in his mm-hmm. prime, you know, et cetera. And yet it really was hard to see a path to them getting to the Super Bowl out of the AFC because of the quarterback talent that we see right now across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were, you know, they're, they're, Plan B was to roll it back with Baker Mayfield. Uh, plan B fell apart pretty fast last week because Baker Mayfield, you know, <laughs> requested a trade. And, you know, after the, our, our own Chris Mortensen reported on ESPN that the Browns quoted, uh, quote, wanted an adult in the room, uh, the way I understand mm-hmm. it for Baker Mayfield, that was the final straw. He was like dead set on never playing another down for the franchise ever again after that. I think it would have gotten mm-hmm. messy. I think he could have potentially held out. So, at that point, the Browns were probably going to have to contemplate, um, you know, plan C, whatever that would have ended up being. But, you know, listen, they, I think they realized that it's probably a long shot for them to get one of those guys. And so I think that they were going to go ahead and roll it back with Baker Mayfield in 2022 and see if he could rekindle his 2020 form, which saw him not only rank top 10 in the NFL and QBR, but lead the Cleveland mm-hmm. Browns to their first playoff victory in 26 years. Yeah. I mean, I remember very vividly last offseason, before, of course, all the uh, the Sean Watson stuff happened, um, or the reports of the Sean Watson stuff happened um, with the allegations for sexual assault, I, I sort of tweeted that, you know, I think Sean Watson's a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield, and the Browns fans were furious at me, just how dare you <laughs> say Baker Mayfield is our our guy, you know, and it's, it's just so funny to think about how things have changed so dramatically in the course of a year with Baker Mayfield, where you know, the the pendulum is sort of swung so far in the other direction. Um, in, in terms of Watson, though, in terms of when those reports came out that the Browns were out of the Watson discussions, um, that he had rejected the Cleveland Browns and was maybe going to go to, it seemed like at that point, I believe, either Carolina or New Orleans or maybe Atlanta. Did you get a sense that the Browns were going to keep trying or... You know, did you sort of think, okay, well, we just have to move on to whatever, you know, the Browns are going to move on to whatever plan B or plan C is now? Yeah, you know, my focus at that point, just in reporting the story, was on the Baker Mayfield side of it. Because yeah. when Deshaun Watson says the Browns are out of the running, well, of course, he said the Browns were out of the running. They were always kind of the long shot anyway. You know, Deshaun Watson played at Clemson by Carolina, obviously. You know, he, uh, you know, mm-hmm. The Falcons are his hometown team. I mean, all these other teams seem like better, mm-hmm. you know, more likely scenarios for Watson. So, yeah, I did not know that the Browns 
really had a shot after Watson had eliminated him. And again, the focus was on, you know, can they repair things with Baker Mayfield? So, yeah, I mean, it was, there are a few stories that they catch you out of the blue like that. And that was definitely one of them. I mean, I was, you know, I think we were all pretty surprised that the Browns were not only able to get back in the game, but to actually get him to come to Cleveland after it seemed like they were, you know, not only had little shot going in, but, you know, once he eliminated them that you you just assume that was it. Yeah. I mean, I was driving um, and I just stopped to get gas and I checked my check, check Twitter and the news had just broken, and I saw, you know, an Adam Schefter tweet, and I said, "Okay, this must be a fake Adam Schefter account." I had to like triple check to make sure that it was a real account reporting this story. I mean, um, what, what were your thoughts when you saw, you know, kind of the news break, and you heard that that this was actually happening? What, what were your first thoughts? Well, I mean, I think your mind goes two places. One. Deshaun Watson, again, you know, he, he's facing, uh, you know, uh, allegations of, of sexual assault, sexual misconduct from 22 women. So, like, what, what, is, what made the Browns feel comfortable going in this direction, right? Um, and, and there's more, I think, to report on that story going forward for sure. And then I think number two is just, like, how did this happen? Like, what was the turnaround? And, you know, the way I understand it, uh, so on Tuesday – you know, for the meeting, it was Jimmy and Dee Haslam, owners of the Browns, uh, on Jimmy's private plane, uh, Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Berry. That was the meeting from the Browns side of it. And, uh, you know, I think Deshaun came away really impressed with the entire presentation. Um, not only Kevin Stefanski, who was, you know, basically breaking down film with Watson during that meeting, Andrew Berry, who was kind of explaining to him, you know, this is what our roster looks like now. This is what we want to do. This is how we think you fit into it, et cetera. Uh, but even the Haslam's as well. So I think he was always impressed with Cleveland. I think he just had to get into his mind, much like me moving from Oklahoma City, Bill, like the idea of coming to Cleveland because he just, I don't think he had really any ties here. And, um, you know, he'd be moving to a completely different part of the country. I think once he got it around his mind that that's okay. And that, you know, this is actually somewhere that is going to be a good fit for me on the field with what they have around me, you know, one of the best offensive lines in the league, one of the best running backs in Nick Chubb, you know, viable number one receiver in Amari Cooper and a defense with some stars on it. Like this, this could be a team where I could potentially win a Super Bowl. So I think the more you thought about that, especially compared to some of the other teams, which I mean, Carolina, Atlanta, like they're just, they don't seem like they're there yet. Uh, you know, Orleans is a little bit closer, but I, I would say that the Browns probably have a better overall roster. You know, I think that was the selling point at the end of the day. And I just think it maybe took him a couple of days to come around to it um, because, again, you know, Cleveland was was kind of the team, um, you know, off, off the pace to, to make this move. Mm -hmm. How much of a sense do you get the – the Browns' willingness in terms of the contract Deshaun Watson signed played a role in this because the contract, I mean, very unique. Um, a five-year deal, I believe it's $46 million per year, all guaranteed. And and the first year of the deal, um, 
has a very low base salary. It's something we've seen the Patriots use with Tom Brady in the past uh, to sort of reduce the exposure in the case of a possible suspension. Um, it would reduce Deshaun Watson's uh, the amount of money he would lose. There's uh, uh, reportedly, according to Mike Florio uh, of Pro Football Talk, there is language in the contract preventing the Browns from pursuing um, any future money uh, or, or eliminating guarantees or, or starting clawing back any money if there is a suspension in the future. Um, you know, it's a very generous contract for a player who had, I believe, not even started his extension with the Texans. So how much do you feel like the contract and the terms of the contract might have helped sway things for the Browns relative to maybe what else was available or what else other teams were willing to do? Well, it, it played an enormous factor and it closed the deal because they gave Watson everything he asked for and could have possibly wanted. I mean, mm-hmm. $230 million guaranteed, fully guaranteed. That was the richest contract in NFL history in terms of guaranteed money by a full $80 million. It's not like they gave Watson the richest contract in NFL history. They gave him the richest contract in NFL history almost twofold. I mean, there's only five <laughs> nice. contracts in NFL history that have more than $120 million in guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah. I mean, they, they gave him... Uh, you know, just uh, an unbelievable contract. And like, do they sign him if they don't give him that? I don't know. Um, probably not. It helped definitely help them, uh, you know, again, close the conversation out. And you mentioned the, you know, you mentioned the, the, the base salary on the first year. You know, if Watson is suspended and the minimum suspension would be six games due to the NFL's code of conduct uh, related to sexual assault cases, you know, he would, he would miss only, you know, he would only lose less than $60,000 per game loss. Mm-hmm. So he's going to face almost no financial penalty in the event that he does get suspended. Um, and you look at the contract and you wonder if you think the Browns uh, are assuming he might get suspended based on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's absolutely fair to say that they were at least preparing for that possibility um, from the Browns perspective. You know, we don't know necessarily, or maybe you know, I don't know certainly, um, how how far they were willing to go with this contract when they first started these negotiations versus where they ended up. But do you think the Browns got more desperate as this process went on because of how the relationship between the organization and Baker Mayfield was souring seemingly in real time? Yeah. So I've asked that question, and I the, the indication I've been given is that. Sean Watson was plan A, Baker Mayfield was plan B. And even though the Baker Mayfield situation began to fall apart, it didn't necessarily mean that Deshaun Watson wasn't plan A. So I think that the Browns at some point had decided they were all in on Deshaun Watson. And I don't know how the Baker Mayfield situation, the trade request impacted that like maybe it did i haven't had anybody tell me that like you can kind Mm -hmm. of assume and connect the dots that maybe Mm -hmm. you know maybe deshaun watson gets an even bigger contract as a result of that because at that point the browns had really no plan c i don't i mean you know do you trade for matt ryan if if watson goes to atlanta do you you know go after jimmy garoppolo at that point i'd been told that garoppolo had not been on the browns radar like at all Mm -hmm. uh, to that point so they were definitely kind of stuck um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, that contract was the difference maker. You know, the Browns made a great presentation. 
They've got a good roster, but to get Deshaun Watson to come to Cleveland, they had to give him every single thing that he wanted financially, and that's exactly what they did. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. So, I mean, let's talk about the, you know, I think the elephant in the room here. I mean, the Browns, and again, you know this much better than I do, but just from, from the national perspective, the Browns have been very conspicuous. In, in wanting to be an organization that has, you know, that, that places a real emphasis on, on equality. I mean, Kaylee Brownson is the Browns chief of staff and now the assistant wide receivers coach. A month before this trade happened, Andrew Berry, the general manager, and Dee Haslam, the wife of the owner, the co-owner of this team, spoke at the NFL's Women's Career in Football Forum. Um, from the perspective of this trade, have you gotten any sense that the Browns either ran this deal past any of the women in this organization besides Dee Haslam, who was in the room? Have you heard anything about how the women in the Cleveland organization feel about this deal? It's too, too soon for me to say that. I, I don't know the answer to that question. I, don't, I, you know, I haven't had a chance to talk to the women in the organization. You know, I have a sense of maybe how a couple of them felt about it, but, sure. I, you know, if you talk to me in a couple of weeks, I think I'll have a better feel for you for how, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the women in the organization uh, feel about it. But I, I can tell you, like, you know, Twitter is not a great place to, <laughs> you know, canvas how people feel about such, something, right? Like it does, it's not reflective of the average Cleveland Brown band. Can I do yeah. literally my next question? My next question is, from a fan side, we know that Twitter isn't always real life. So absolutely, <laughs> right. we're on the same page here. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I was going to say, like, anecdotally, just here in Cleveland this weekend, I have been stunned by how many Browns fans who were disgusted by this. I mean, just completely turned off by it. You know, I, I, there was always going to be that segment, right, that, um, that, that we're not going to be happy with this move. But, I, I mean, it feels very divided. And then you've got, you know, your portion of Browns fans who love Baker Mayfield, who haven't forgotten that he won that game that opened up the Bud Light fridges on that Thursday night football in his debut. and won the first playoff game for the Browns in, in, you know, in 26 years. And I think there's a portion of that fan base that feels like they just kind of bust Baker out the door with the adult comments and everything. So it's the Brown, the Browns fan base to me feels all over the place right now about what has happened in the last week. Yeah. And I mean, I think that seems reasonable, right? You know, I think there are Browns fans who have been waiting for a quarterback as good as Deshaun Watson. And I'm not going to say that it's, you know, that they didn't make this trade. I think they are have been rooting for this team long enough that they're going to make the best of what the situation is. There are fans who I think rightfully are disgusted by this trade. I think there are, you know, fans who rightfully see Baker Mayfield as a guy who maybe got a, a, a bum deal here, a guy who was good 
you know, for a chunk of the time over the past couple of years, a guy who played through a serious injury last year where you could say he didn't play very well. And I think by the end of the year, he was probably hurting the Browns more than he was helping, but a guy who very clearly cared about wanting to be out there every single week for the football team as much as he was physically able to do that. So, you know, I think certainly from my perspective, it's not my place to say, oh, you know, Browns fans shouldn't feel this way or feel that way. I feel like there's a variety of of feelings that were going to come out regardless of whether this was going to be the Browns making this trade or the Saints making this trade or the Panthers making this trade. But, you know, I, I guess I wonder, you know, are are those feelings going to stick? Like, like are the fans who are disgusted, you know, is Deshaun Watson going to to a hot start? Are they going to say, okay, well, it's not, you know, we're, we're going to root for this guy because he's our quarterback. Do you think there's going to be a lasting effect to or are people who you know, have been Browns fans for a long time and say, you know what, I'm good. I'm washing my hands of this. Or do you think it's just sort of the immediate reaction of fans after the trade itself? Yeah, it's probably the latter bill. And I think the Browns don't make this trade if they don't feel like it's the latter. Like once, once we get yeah. to the season and Deshaun Watson starts winning games, everybody will be fine with it. I think that that's what they are banking on. But again, like, you know, I think the, the backlash has been, you know, significant. I, I mean, you know, the, the, the Cleveland Rape Crisis Center, uh, you know, put out a statement after the trade saying that this, you know, had been triggering uh, for people who had right. been victims of sexual assault in the area. Like, this, mm-hmm. is a, this is a real backlash, a real thing, and it's not going away because we haven't even gotten to the press conference yet. I mean, the fact that the Browns mm-hmm. haven't had a Deshaun Watson press conference yet tells you everything you need to know. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm told not to expect one, you know, anytime soon. And... Mm-hmm. I mean, you just think about the Browns and the issues that they've had a, at quarterback going back to Bernie Kosar. If they had traded for a guy of Deshaun Watson's caliber on the field without the stuff, you know, the allegations off the field, right. I mean, there would be a parade in downtown Cleveland right now. I mean, the mm-hmm. city would be uh, on fire, um, ready for, you know, football to get started. And it just doesn't feel like that way at all because of, of the serious allegations that he will still face even after joining the Browns. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the perspective of the people who made this deal, I mean, you know, Kevin Stefanski, like you said, was there in the room giving a, you know, a a detailed look to to Sean Watson about what he needed to do to improve going over tape with the Sean Watson, Andrew Berry, there in the room, you know, sort of selling the roster to Sean Watson. And again, I mean, the contract, you know, is basically handing to Sean Watson, not a blank check, but a, a blank contract piece of paper and say, okay, what do you want to get this deal done? It, you know, I guess I wonder for these guys who buy, I think, are really smart and have, you know, have certainly been wanting to be perceived as very progressive people publicly. Um, you know, in, in terms of this move, how do you think this impacts their legacy, whether they win or whether they don't with Deshaun Watson? How do you think it impacts it? You know, somebody <laughs> on the outside looking in. I mean, I, I think that it definitely changes the way some people will look at them. And, and Bill, here's the thing. What if another allegation comes out? Of course. What if something else happens? Mm -hmm. Like their reputations, I think at that point would take an enormous hit. It's not just the Haslam's that are on the line. I think, uh, reputationally for this, it's Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry as well. They were all in on this move. They're, you know, they put out the statements yesterday in addition to the Haslam's as well. So they are on the hook for this, uh, as much as, as anybody else. And, you know, if you're going to criticize the Browns for the move that they made, you can't just criticize the Haslam's that, you know, it's Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski as well. I mean, that's, that's my sense of it, but 
I, you know, I'd be curious to see what you think as well, because again, like, you know, it just kind of goes counter to the message they've been trying to send as an organization since this regime took over. No, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think you can't have it both ways, right? You know, I'm not saying it should be the Al Davis just win philosophy, but I mean, we saw the statement the Haslam's put out that was, you know, trying to pretend that there was a really thoughtful process to this when, by all accounts, by multiple reports, the, the, the Browns did not speak to a single person who has accused Sean Watson of sexual assault or the lawyer representing the women who made those accusations. I, I think they're not the first organization to do that, but certainly it does not feel like they want to be uh, they they didn't want to ask questions they did not want the answers to I think is what it's and here, like here's the thing though they have not given any specifics publicly about the investigation we'll see what they say in the press conference right but if you did not talk to the to, to the uh, the women who have accused Deshaun Watson directly or if you've not examined you know corroborating evidence the way somebody like Jenny Princess has from the New York Times you don't know what happened your investigation is not extensive. And you're basically saying, we're okay with it. We don't know. We don't know what happened. Maybe you don't know either. And, and you know, I, you or I, we don't know. We don't know. We're not, you know, we're not investigating this uh, directly. But you don't know either. So you can't say that a, an, an investigation was thorough and extensive and that you feel comfortable and everything is fine if you did not talk to the other side of the story. We'll see what they say about it when this press conference ever happens. But until then, I mean, I think there's plenty of reason to be skeptical about the merits of uh, the, the investigation that they did on Deshaun Watson. Right. And, and I think it, it comes down to just you can't claim that moral high ground anymore. You can't come out and say, OK, you know, we're going to have a progressive organization. We're going to promote women. We're going to, you know, employ and believe in women. Like you can't you can't do that anymore. You, you don't get to have that in your back pocket. You can't have it both ways. So. I mean, we'll see what happens. I, I think there's still a lot to come from the organization. I want to see if there are people who leave. Like, I, I don't think it's out of the question that there will be people in this organization who say, you know, I don't want to be a part of this. And in the, in the weeks to come, do decide to move on, whether that's a public reason why they say so or whether privately they decide to, you know, they, they decide to leave and, and not sort of want to talk about that publicly. But I do think that, um, you know, in talking to some of the people who work there, you know, there, there's there's that chatter. And again, that might be nothing. In two weeks, they might say, oh, well, I want to stay. But I think there has been, you know, certainly some level of discomfort with the moves that, or the, the, this particular move that the Browns have made. There is no question about that, Bill. I don't know if it'll come to anything, like you said, but it, it ain't like everybody's going to be, you know, with, with pom-poms at this press conference, right. whatever it happens, from the Browns organization. Right. Um, let's talk about the Baker side of things. Um, let's talk about the 2021 season. Cause like, uh, you know, like we said, like everyone saw, um, a rough year. I mean, the Browns did not live up to expectations. Baker Mayfield was hurt early in the year, played through a, a pretty nasty shoulder injury that, that recurred throughout the year. There's also talk about some friction in the relationship between Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski. Um, before all this happened, before the the news broke about Deshaun Watson, before the trade po rumors popped up, before there was even the consideration of, you know, the Browns are going to try and make a major upgrade at quarterback, 
given what you heard, what you saw in the relationship between those two guys, did you feel like that was going to be impossible to overcome? Or do you think it was just sort of like the standard issue, you know, frustrating year and, and maybe some some minor issues that were going to be worked out if it was a more typical offseason? Well, I wrote before the Monday night football game against the Steelers. This is before. Mm-hmm. I think it was the day of, actually. I wrote something that had the headline, are the Browns and Baker Mayfield really headed toward a split? Mm -hmm. And I wrote that because of what I knew. And I knew this was not heading in a great direction. I didn't know what the Browns options were going to be. You know, I didn't really know how they were going to evaluate Baker after the season, but I knew then that there was, there were some problems. I mean, I, I think you have to go back to last off season. As I mentioned, Baker wins the playoff game, throws for three touchdowns against the Steelers, you know, from week seven, week 15, he's number three in the league in QBR, trailing only the the back-to-back MVPs, Rodgers and Mahomes. And it wasn't so much the way I understand it, that they didn't come to an agreement on a contract extension. It's that the Browns didn't even try. They didn't even say, hey, can we like have a, you know, discussion about this? Or, you know, this is kind of what we think an offer might be, or, you know, let's, let's revisit this next offseason. There was just, there just really wasn't a lot of overtures about it. And I think mm-hmm. that that did two things for Baker, put a lot of pressure on him coming into the season to perform well. And then on, on top of that, I think it just was one more block in the salarying of the organization from his perspective. I mean, you have to mm-hmm. remember he played for four different head coaches, his first three seasons. He has dealt yeah. with, a ton of dysfunction for a you know a quarterback on a rookie contract, a ton of turmoil, le- le- learning new you know playbooks every offseason. And listen, I mean, to be fair, Baker has contributed plenty to the chaos that we've seen in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's been a source of tension. But from his perspective, I think that put things in kind of a dicey situation coming into the season. And then the shoulder mm-hmm. injury happened. And he's never, never the same the rest of the year. You know, you go back and watch that week one Kansas City game. That looked like 2020 Baker to me. You watch the first half against the Houston Texans in week two. Looks like 2020 Baker to me. Not a top five quarterback in the NFL, but like his best version, maybe a fringy top 10, top 12, which is what we saw in 2020. But Mm -hmm. he has the shoulder injury. You know, his, I I think at some point his confidence, uh, you know, started to, to wane. Uh, physically, sure. he just could not do what he needed to do to be accurate with that harness on. And then we get to Halloween, and Baker misses Odell Beckham at the end of that Steelers loss near the end zone. And two days later, the video comes out from Odell Beckham Sr., basically mm-hmm. pointing out all the times that Baker missed Odell and didn't throw his way. And then Odell Sr. is in the comments section, yeah, you know, Baker's trash, blah, blah, blah. That was a very difficult moment for Baker and probably a turning point moment for Baker in terms of the way he was viewed internally by his teammates, because a lot of those guys, they looked up to Odell Beckham. And I I know there was some report, I think that like Odell was a bad teammate, like Odell. Now we'll take the, you know, the video stuff aside, but like Odell to a lot of those guys who had looked up to him was a great teammate. You know, he, Mm -hmm. he would, He'd be like, hey, come over to my house, go in my closet, pick out whatever clothes or shoes you want. I mean, that, he really ingratiated himself to those guys on the team. And so when this happened and he was just gone and nobody really got a great explanation for why he was gone from, uh, from the team side of it, I think a lot of people were like, 
what, you know, put it on Baker. And you began to feel that as the season went along, the worse Baker played, the more you could see the offense defense divide on the team, the more, uh, you know, Jarvis Landry doesn't talk at all. Uh, you know, there was just nobody really coming to the Baker's defense or explaining what was going on. And I think the fracture in the locker room grew from that point on and, and never really recovered. And that's why I wondered, you know, is, did, did, did the, do the Browns really feel like this is going to be a good situation if they bring Baker back and he struggles early on in 2022, like this is going to go South fast. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's why I felt like, um, you know, it was potentially coming to a split. And really in December, I, you know, was starting to hear that Baker maybe didn't want to be in Cleveland anymore. Like he just kind of had enough of this and wanted a fresh start. Um, that being said, you know, he had a productive exit meeting with Kevin Stefanski. You know, he, I think Simpson's been kind of cool. He's ready to, you know, get back in shape, had the shoulder surgery, had a schedule on that, you know, reached out to Mari Cooper after they, they made that trade. Hey, let's meet up at Lake Travis and Austin, you know, get some throwing in once my shoulder's good, all that stuff. Like he was back to being committed to the Browns. And then he finds out about the Watson meeting happening over social media. Now he knew the Browns might pursue an elite quarterback, but he didn't know it was going to play out so publicly. And it was going to be like an in-person meeting that where people are tracking the flight, you know, all the way to Houston on flight tracker. And I think that that was just insulting to him and really set this on a path where it was not going to be, uh, I, I think, repairable. I mean, as a former college football reporter, you know all about flight tracker, and that's an essential part of any any uh, any process now when it comes to football. It was like a college recruiting visit, basically. It felt like it. That's a really good comparison. It really feels that way. Um, in in terms of what happens next for Baker, I mean, obviously the Browns are moving on. They signed Jacoby Brissett this week. They also trade away Case Keenum. You figure to get a, a quarterback whose skill set maybe more aligns with the offense they might run with Deshaun Watson. Um, Correct. Baker Mayfield's role with this team is non-existent. He's going to move on. Has an, uh, like a little over $18 million in guaranteed money in 2022. So if you survey the landscape, where do you think the best fit for Baker Mayfield would be? And if that's if it's not the case, where do you think Baker Mayfield will actually end up in 2022? Well, our colleague uh, Dan Orlovsky, you know, pointed out that the Colts would be a really good fit for Baker, and that Baker mm -hmm. could potentially be a good fit for the Colts. And I can tell you, uh, you know, from Baker's perspective, that would be a great landing spot for him. That would be very preferable. Now, I don't know what interests the Colts have uh, as of this discussion we're having. You know, the really I have not heard of any movement on a, on a trade yet. So we'll have to wait and see, but if it's not Indianapolis and they go after say, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, or if Matt Ryan becomes available, then, you know, the, the landing spots start to diminish pretty quickly. You've got Seattle. Um, that, that, that would be a potential uh, trade destination for Baker. I suppose you have Carolina. If they want to try to, do what they did with Sam Darnold, but with another quarterback from that 2018 draft <laughs> class, you know, just yes. run it back and see if it, see if they can have better luck uh, with, with Baker. Um, if new Orleans, you know, decided that they weren't going to bring Jameis Winston back, that would be, I guess, a possibility. I don't really see anything else. Um, you know, maybe Detroit, if they could figure out something in, with, with Jared Goff, but yeah, there's at this, at this, point in the game there's just not that many 
places available and you still have, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo who's available. You still have, you know, so, you know, Mariota, um, Marcus Mariota, and then, you know, mm-hmm. potentially, you know, Jameis Winston, depending on what happens with New Orleans. So um, there's not a lot of spots for Baker to go to, but I think a best case scenario for him would be to go to Indy, you know, that running game and kind of rediscover himself. Because I think in a lot of ways, he just kind of lost his way this past season in Cleveland, um, you know, physically was broken. And I think by the end of the year, his confidence was shattered pretty well, uh, pretty, pretty significantly as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly the case. And I mean, we're recording this Monday afternoon, several hours before Matt Ryan's, I think, seven and a half million dollar roster bonus is coming to. I, I know that sort of seems like maybe a deadline for what might happen with Matt Ryan. There's been some rumors of him going to the Colts. Um, you know, that could change things as well. So if, if you were hearing this and you're wondering why we're talking about it this way, uh, we're a few hours ahead of that possible situation there. I mean, I, I wrote a column today for ESPN. And I pitched the Seahawks, where it's running a similar style of offense to the one he ran in Cleveland when he was successful in 2020. And, and I think there's an element of a, you know, uh, the, the the good chip on your shoulder. And Baker is always going to have an ego, always going to have a chip on his shoulder. I think that drives him both when he's doing well and when he's struggling. And I think that would play up in Seattle. I think that would play up with Pete Carroll, who, you know, kind of has that that real desire for his favorite word, competitiveness. And I mean... You know, Baker, whatever you want to say about the guy, I mean, good or bad, the the dude wants to win. The dude cares about playing. The dude is super competitive and, you know, played through a a serious injury last year. And, and for a Browns team, that was going nowhere by the end of the year. Um, you know, I think that that felt like a fit to me, you know, a little bit on, on the field, but even more so in terms of, you know, just his personality and what Pete Carroll looks for from his players. Well, I know it's, the NFL, and that's much different than college, right? It's just much yes. harder to succeed in the NFL as a quarterback, way harder than it is as a college quarterback. But I will say, you know, in 20, so then 20, you know, 2013, you know, Baker Mayfield leaves Texas Tech, and nobody's really interested in him, like, you know, at least among the Power Five teams. And he had grown up an OU football fan as a kid and just shows up at Oklahoma. You know, Bob Stoops doesn't even know really he's arriving. He's just there in the freshman dorms, um, you know, away from the athletic dorms, just kind of waiting for spring practice to start. And he comes out of nowhere and takes Oklahoma to the playoff, um, you know, after redshirting a year later. So I don't know that this is the last we've seen from Baker Mayfield. I will say this. At some point, I imagine a Baker Mayfield team is going to come to First Energy Stadium, and that is going to be a wild atmosphere for <laughs> sure. And if I were the Browns, I'd be a little nervous about that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Baker's going to be have most of the energy on his own, let alone the fans as well. Um, let me finish with this. I asked you about maybe how Kevin Stefanski's legacy and how Andrew Berry's legacy might play out with the Deshaun Watson uh, acquisition. On the other hand, Given the four years Baker Mayfield's had in Cleveland, uh, we'll see what happens next. We'll see what happens with Deshaun Watson. But what do you think Baker Mayfield's legacy with the Browns looks like when we look back several years from now? You know, it's hard to say that he has a legacy considering that he's only the third quarterback in NFL history to go number one overall and last four or fewer seasons with that team. Jeff George and uh, Jamarcus Russell were the other two. But I think that once we get a little bit 
further away from the 2021 season, we can appreciate some of what Baker did because, again, when he arrived, you know, they hadn't won a game in 635 days. Uh, they had not, they'd only been in the playoffs, you know, once since 1999. And, you know, for all of, of Baker's mistakes and, you know, some of the, the, the drama that surrounded him and all the commercials that everybody liked to complain about, uh, <laughs> even though they were always well done. They're good. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, he did something that I don't think anybody would have thought possible when he came in in 2018. And that's, he won a playoff game. And, he was a big reason why they got to that point and why they actually won a playoff game. So I think that it's in time he'll be appreciated in Cleveland. Um, you know, I don't know what it's going to look like in the context of Deshaun Watson. Like if the Browns win three Super Bowls, you know, in the next three years, it might not look as impressive. Um, but I think at this moment, um, you know, if you're a Browns fan and you, maybe you were ready for a new quarterback, I think you can at least say that, you know, Baker Mayfield in his way, you know, help move this franchise to a point that it needed to get to, uh, which is just making a Super Bowl, which obviously has never happened in the history of the franchise. Mm -hmm. Well, Jake, I'm sure you're going to be covering this in the weeks to come for us. Where can people see more of your coverage on all things Browns? Yeah, Bill, I'm all over ESPN and I'm on Twitter occasionally, Jake underscore Trotter. Uh, that's about it for now. That, that's the best way to be on Twitter is occasionally. Very smart, man. Inside and outside of Twitter, definitely recommend checking out Jake Trotter's stuff for us at ESPN. Jake, thank you so much. Thanks, Bill. All right, thanks so much to Jake Trotter of ESPN. Talking all about this Brown situation, um, obviously still a lot to play out here with uh, Baker Mayfield and whatever happens with Deshaun Watson in the months to come. Um, I am actually out next week. There will be no Bill Barnwell show next week. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Hope you can, this tied you over for a week or two. Um, we'll be back in April, I believe, is when we will have another show. But back with previewing the NFL draft, talking more about the offseason stuff. Plenty of football to come here on the Bill Barnwell show. Thanks so much for listening. More on the way.